Now, this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And as I start, uh, I got to make a confession here this morning. Uh, I feel really weak and tired. We're coming off of a uh, week of sickness at the Newbie household. First, it was my son who um, got a cold. We did all the COVID tests to make sure. You know, I forgot for a while that there are other illnesses than COVID. Have you forgotten that? Right? There's like only one out there now. And um, so, you know, we do all the testing. No, he just had a cold. And then, you know, uh, a few days later, Laura got it and Elijah got better. And so she had a cold for a bit. And then a few days later, I got it. And then Laura's feeling better and, you know, is flying off to California today for a conference. And so I, I found myself uh, seeing here just experiencing sickness and weakness, a, a common cold, right? Um, by the way, as, you know, we've been taking lots of these COVID tests that you can do to ensure it's not something else and you're being responsible with others, all that. Have you seen the test where they have a C, which stands for control, and a T, which stands for test, right? So if, if it comes up on the C, the, the little bar appears, right, then, then you're fine. Uh, if it comes up on the T, that's the problem. That's when you have COVID. Who thought of this, by the way? Come on, who doesn't think that half the crowd is going to think when it pops up on C, it means what? <laughs> COVID. Come on, people. This is like basic PR stuff. Just say P for positive, N for negative. You know half the people out there are like, I've got COVID, right? This is, I don't know who does marketing for this, but Pfizer, if you're listening, take, take some you know, notes here. This isn't helpful. Anyway, um, you know, we're testing for this, but I found myself a few days ago just feeling absolutely weak and useless. Now, I don't typically get sick. It's honestly been years since I've gotten sick. Um, it's maybe been more than a couple years since I've gotten sick. But when I get sick, I tend to be like that. I crash and burn really hard, and then I, I recover, right? It's a V. It's not a U. Anybody else like that here? All right. So I, I crashed really hard. And, um, you know, a few days ago, I was there and just like feeling absolutely useless, you know, just kind of sitting on the couch. And I hate that. I hate that. I can't even vacation for more than a week without getting antsy. Like, I'm just not that person, right? I'm like, I got to get back to work. Like, I, I want to get back to what I'm doing. And so I just sit there and feeling absolutely useless. And, and there's this tension, like, I, I should get up. I should be doing more. Maybe I can fit in some time at the gym or whatever. But there's times, right, where it's okay to be useless, that doesn't mean I'm not valuable, or it doesn't mean I'm not a, a person worthy of love. It, it just means, hey, you're not really going to be doing anything right now, and that's okay, because there's reasons for that, right? There are reasons for sometimes you, you're just down, right? Or it's just a season, or there's, there's a space. But if every day, you know, I'm coming home and saying, hey, can, can you do everything here? Can you kind of parent the kid? Can you, can you do all this, right? Every day turns into weeks, turns into months. All of a sudden, we don't say that that's a season. We call it something else. You know what we call it? Lazy, right? <laughs> because there are reasons to be useless. But then there's reasons. Do you know the difference? There's reasons, Right? And then sometimes there's reasons. Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs says, <clears throat> the son that says, I can't go to work today, mom, because there could be a lion in the streets. You go, okay, there's reasons. And then there's reasons, right? <clears throat> is it possible that there is a lion outside? It certainly is, right? Possibility is only limited by your imagination. However, is it 
probable that there is a lion outside? No. No. See, that's, that's a reason that's actually an excuse. Because we all have reasons, right? But there's reasons, and then there's reasons. I want to engage the question this morning about uselessness. I, I want to ask this question, are you a useless Christian? And you're saying, Brian, you're coming out the gates. That's a little, it's a little hot, right? It's a little challenging. Yes, I am. It's one of those Sundays. I apologize. It's the text here. It's where we are, right? But this is really the question that we're to be engaging today. Are you a useless Christian? Now, let me caveat this and say, I'm not asking, are you a valuable person who's made in the image of God? Right? That's separate. Usefulness is things are happening because I'm leveraging my talents, my gifts, my time, like I'm part of building the kingdom of God, right? That's usefulness to the kingdom of God. This isn't, are you saved or not? It's what are you doing with your salvation? What are you doing with the grace that you've been given? Because it is very possible to be a useless Christian. Now, again, I want to say this. There are reasons, right? There's situations, and then there's reasons. And I want to challenge some of us today. I want to challenge myself today because the text that we're looking at is a challenge for us to ask this question. Are you a useless Christian? I don't mean for a short stint. I don't mean for reasonable circumstances. I mean, when you zoom out and you look at your life, how are you a part of building the kingdom of God? Are you? See, this is why this matters today. You go, well, I don't like the term use, usefulness, right? Being used is not generally something we, we put in a good context. But see, this is the crazy upside down and inside out world of God. Right, this is how God works. See, God has this plan. God has a purpose to restore, to rebuild all things. God is going to remake all things. The challenges we feel, the, the, the tears that we shed, like God is in the process of restoring all things. But God, in his infinite wisdom that is far beyond our own, chooses to use people. Now, that's the crazy thought. That's a crazy thing, Right? God is choosing to use broken, fallible, inconsistent people. But this is the story of God. It's, it's not just now, right? We can think back through history. God called Abraham when he was Abram. Not because he was some, you know, especially wonderful person, but because God called him. And God would bless the nations through the Jewish people. God, God called Moses, a guy who had great education but poor anger management issues, Right? I mean, he's, he's not the cream of the crop here. Even he says, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. I'm not a gifted speaker. And God goes, what's in your hand? What did I give you? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what I am doing through you. Right? God chooses to use people. We've got uh, David. We've got Saul. Right? You start ticking through all these things. And this is, we start the mission of Jesus by saying this. There was a man sent from heaven whose name was John. Wait, I thought he came from around the desert about a quarter mile away. No, friends, he was sent from heaven. See, in, in the grand scheme of what God is doing, God uses people. It's the upside-down, inside-out world of God, how he is choosing to work through people. So the question becomes, is he working through you? Because this is the crazy pattern of God here. 
And, and this really matters here for us because God is looking to restore all things and he wants to use his people. I frankly don't know why, right? Jesus does his ministry. Think how crazy this is. Jesus does his ministry. He builds this thing and, and he ascends into heaven at, looking at a group of people who are very flawed, very faulty, and his, his speech that he gives is, okay, go tell the whole world, see you guys later, I'll be with you, right? Can you imagine standing there and going, wait a minute, this group, right? This is not the cream of the crop. And yet, over 2,000 years later, here we are. You're part of that chain. Because God works through people. So here's the question that, that we need to ask ourselves, because the reality of it is, there's reasons then there's reasons, right? And sometimes we can blind ourselves to the truth. We, we, can, we can hide it from ourselves and we, we make excuses and all sorts of things. How do we know? Well, here's a, a question to start with this morning. If you disappeared this week, how would the kingdom of God be affected this month? If you disappeared this week, I, you know, the fiery chariot comes down for you or, you know, you, you just you know, end up going on vacation. So if you disappear this week, how would the kingdom of God be affected this month? Now, I put it in, in a time-bound sense here, right? Because one thing I, I wanted to protect against, to protect against some of the self-deception of intentions, right? If I just said, if you disappeared, how would the kingdom of God be affected? And you, you sit there and go, well, I'm, I'm planning on doing lots of things. You know, like I, I've got plans here. I've got intentions. But here's the challenge, we all have intentions. We all have intentions, right? That, that's not the distinguishing factor. The sum of your life is not going to be based on your intentions as much as it is your what? Actions. See, we can kid ourselves sometimes. We go, I, I, know, I know, I know, I'm, but this is, just a, this is just a moment, right? I'm planning on. Or right around the corner, I, I'm, I'm totally going to do that thing. I feel like, you know, there's these opportunities for me to be involved. There's opportunities for me to make a difference. There's, you know, I can be useful for God's kingdom. It's just, I got this thing going on right now. But, but just wait. When the season changes, and then it becomes the next season, and the next season, and the next month, and the next month, and, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. And there are intentions. But we all have intentions. But the course of your life is more determined by your actions than necessarily your intentions. So think of it in terms of this month. If I were gone this week, what would change? What would suffer in the kingdom of God? Who, who wouldn't hear the word? Who wouldn't be encouraged? What, what, what thing in the church would fall apart? Like what person would, would start to turn their back on God? How would the kingdom of God be affected this month? If I disappeared this week. Now, attention that, that we sort of give some pushback on this as we go, but Brian, I've got reasons. We all have reasons. We all have reasons, right? But there's reasons, and then there are reasons, right? And sometimes we can get into a habit where, where we are convincing ourselves of something because we want it to be true, not because it actually is true. I'll give you a... a um, a case in point, right? There's uh, two people I was talking to at the same, same time, and um, they were talking to uh, me about why they're not uh, coming to church in person. And let me just say, for anyone who's not coming to church in person, I fully endorse whatever decision you're making 
that you're making with the heart of Jesus, right? Whether you're here in person, you have a mask on, you don't have a mask on, whether you're at home because, you know, you're, you're wanting to be safe, I fully embrace that. I don't think there's a right and wrong in your decisions about your health. Caveat finished. That being said, I talked with two people. One person said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not coming to church. You know, we've got somebody in our family who's immunocompromised, and I'm really concerned about the numbers. So for us, our decision, right, we're going to be uh, staying at home. We're tuning in. Um, we're not, you know, getting on the subway. We're not going to work. Uh, we're not going to the office. We're not eating in indoor restaurants. We're really just trying to be careful about this. And I go, man, I'm so thankful that you're caring for your family well. You know, whenever the changes, we'll be happy to see it. Until then, stay safe. Right? The person right next to them says, yeah, same thing. You know, we're not coming to church because, um, you know, we're worried about being in a place with a lot of people. Right? That, that kind of gives us some anxieties. And I said, hey, that's absolutely fine. You know, um, it got anything going on? They said, oh, yeah, we're, we're flying out to see a bunch of friends um, in a different state. And um, I kid you not, uh, we're going to a big wedding party. It's going to be an amazing bash. And then a group of us are going away for the weekend here. Um, and we're going to do a restaurant tour of the area. And, and we sit there, and we, we all kind of look for a moment. And you go, friends, there's reasons. And then there's reasons, right? Right, and sometimes we can tell ourselves, I, I have a reason. But, but we need to press in a little bit deeper than that. Because maybe, maybe your reason might actually just be an excuse. Everyone has reasons, but some of them are excuses, and it was interesting. That person actually emailed me back uh, later. They were thinking about the conversation, and they just said, you know, I kind of looked at my reason, and what I realized, it was just laziness. And it's so much easier to, like, catch up on something midweek online than getting dressed and showing up and being a part of community. And I, I, I was convicted later. It was actually just an excuse for laziness, you know? We have reasons. See, there's a big thing that I, I kind of dislike here. We say all the time, I can't. I can't. See, there's a big difference, though, between I can't and I won't. Right? We often say things like, I can't do that. And what we actually mean is, I won't do that. When someone says, hey, would you like uh, to meet with me at so-and-so time? We go, oh, hey, sorry, I can't. I can't. As if the cosmic forces are like holding you back and you just wish you could go to that meeting, right? But you're chained down, right? It, you're, you don't really, it's not I can't. Do you know what it actually is? I won't. I'm not choosing to. I actually don't want to prioritize that. People say, well, I can't be, in, oh, I can't be involved with that, right? Because, you know, kid soccer. <laughs> well, it's actually an I won't be involved with that because I'm prioritizing this. Did you know there are very few things in your life that you cannot do? Even, and this is like challenging from a pastor here, but it's even obeying God, right? You don't have to obey God. In fact, you make a choice not to all the time. I do all the time, right? It's not I can't, it's I won't. See, sometimes we hide behind these cans. Sometimes we hide behind these reasons. Sometimes we hide, hey, it's not me. It, it's, it's, there's reasons. And boy, I just, I wish those reasons weren't there. But it becomes a smokescreen in our hearts. Is it possible that some of our reasons are really just excuses? 
Is it possible that some of our reasons for why we are not useful for the kingdom of God in this time, I'm not talking 10 years ago, I'm not talking 10 years in the future, now, is it possible that some of our reasons are really just excuses? And this is why it matters. I, I really believe this is the heart of each and every person here. All of us want to live lives that truly matter. All of us want to live lives that truly matter. But to get there, we're going to need to see things in a whole new way. All of us want to live lives that matter. I have yet to meet anybody who goes, you know what, Pastor, what I really hope, I really hope that just at the end of my life, I'm surrounded by stuff and I look around and no one's there and, you know, uh, everyone's going to forget me when I'm gone. Boy, wouldn't that be great? You know? You have a tombstone, right? It's a really big mausoleum that says, did nothing, right? <laughs> So-and-so, born this date, died this date, nothing was changed, right? Is that, uh, no one says that. Every person wants to live a life that truly matters. And this is why this is so critical for us today. It's because for your life to matter in, in the grand scheme of things is it, this cosmic work of God redeeming the world. The work of God who brings peace. The work of God who brings truth. The work of God who brings life. And he's calling you to be a part of it. And sometimes our reasons our I can'ts, or our, hey, I will, it's just, you know, someday. It can actually keep us from living a life of significance, a life that truly matters, a life that, that when you step out, when you disappear, when that chariot comes down, man, it, people sit there and go, wow, boy, the kingdom of God was different People's lives were changed because they were here. I believe that each and every person honestly wants to live that life. But to do that, sometimes we've got to get past our reasons, which may be our excuses. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, am I actually useful? Or is it possible that I may be a useless Christian? This morning, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. I invite you to turn there. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. By the way, I'm kind of excited that I'm weak up here. You know why? You know what that means? It means God's going to show up in a big way because God shows up in our weakness. This service is more than the sum of our efforts. We're here to see what God has for us. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It starts with this. And the angel of the church in Laodicea writes... The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I didn't hear any amens or hallelujahs there. This is the moment, people, right? Amen, bless God, right? the, the word of God. Right, so let me, let me say this here. Jesus here wants to engage the question of usefulness, of usefulness. And to understand what we're talking about here, we need to learn a little bit about Laodicea, the city that we're in. We have a video uh, for you to see here. Let me talk a little bit about Laodicea as a city. And we can go ahead and play the video here. Laodicea was uh, 
of all the seven cities that we have seen, of all the seven cities that we have been able to explore, this was basically the Manhattan of them all, right? So you can substitute the word Laodicea with Manhattan here. This was the financial capital of Asia Minor. This was the place where banking and uh, industry was at its highest. This was the place where people um, were incredibly wealthy, In fact, there are, uh, by most accounts and by most measures, this was one of the wealthiest cities in all of the empire. So Laodicea was a really interesting city. It was placed at um, a particular location that was very defensible. It was placed at a location where you had... um, uh, the crossroads where a lot of groups had to come through for trade, right? It was, it was a major, major port. But there was one problem that Laodicea had. Does anyone know what it is? Any Asia Minor scholars out there, right? Uh, you know what it was? They didn't have water. That was the one thing that was a, that was a big issue. And, and when you were in an ancient city, water was a huge deal. Why is that? Because it was very possible Whenever you got surrounded, uh, there was a siege that was taken. The fastest thing you're going to run out of is water. And so to be a defensible city, to protect your goods, you're going to need water. Now, look at this right here. There's a very fascinating thing that was um, a little away from the Laodicea proper. And there were these hot springs. And so what they figured out in Laodicea, if you've never been in a hot spring, right, they're full of very dense mineral content. And uh, what they did was they would take a big aqueduct. Um, They had a natural one, and then they would help bridge it into the city. And they would take water from these hot springs, and it would travel a long way till it would get into the city of Laodicea. And this is how they would get water into the city. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Laodicea was uh, wealthy for a few different reasons. Um, One, they had an amazing textile industry. They had carefully selected and bred a certain type of sheep that would create a natural black wool. So, you know, occasionally you hear the term a black sheep, right? It's a pretty rare thing. Um, But they would carefully breed and select over time so they had an entire flock of this black wool. If you were fashionable, um, if you were someone who is high in society, you would wear these robes made from black wool. They were very famous for it. Second thing they were famous for, they produced an eye salve. Uh, They were really connected with the strong medical school, right? Finance and medicine were a big thing for this city. And they had this salve that was only created here in this city, and it would cure various types of uh, disease that people would have with their vision, with their eyes. Um, So because of those two main things, because of their location, they were a major banking center. In fact, you've heard us in the past couple weeks talk about earthquakes, how it shook the foundation, right? We talked about that last week. All these churches are in a similar geographic region. Um, this was the only city of, the, of all the ones affected by the earthquake that didn't take a handout, a Build Back Better program from Rome. They actually covered it all themselves. They looked at Rome and they said, yeah, we're fine. We don't need your financial assistance. We're so wealthy right? We can just rebuild it ourselves. And they did. I mean, this was a a very wealthy place that was very self-sustaining. The one real challenge was water. That was the one thing that was kind of the Achilles heel of the city, was water. And so, 
when they started piping this water in from far away, when it would first start coming down from the hot springs, it would be this steaming hot water. Um, I used to live in Japan, and um, it was a big thing to go to the onsen, the hot springs, right? You go to these natural hot springs, it's really filled with a dense mineral, and it's supposed to be very healthy for you, right? It's kind of a fun thing to do. But this is what it was. But when they take that water, and it starts traveling a long distance away from the heat of the ground, what happens? It starts to cool, right? All that steaming starts to cool down, and by the time it hits the city, it's no longer cold, or it was never cold in the first place. It's no longer hot. It's not cold. It's what? Lukewarm. Now, not just was it lukewarm, it is filled with sediment, right? It would coat the bottom of this uh, natural aqueduct with all sorts of um, chemical residue, right, from the rock. It would build up. It would be cold, a little bit slimy if you've ever had uh, water from a hot spring and you drank it. It's really hard to stomach. And in fact, they would have to take the water and they would have to let it sit and do a process to it to let some of the sediments and the different um, things calm down and go to the bottom. If you got the water directly from the aqueduct, as soon as it hit and you drank it, you know what happened? You'd spit it right back out. You'd spit it right back out. It was undrinkable. It took time. You, you had to have a process. And, and, and I want you to think about that as we read these words, again, to put it in context. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, Jesus, again, he knows their situation. And we can come to the next slide here. He knows their situation. He says, I know your works. I know your works. See, the problem wasn't that Jesus knew their works. They did not know their own works. Right, because they had reasons. And Jesus says, I want to give you an illustration here. You're like water that's come from the aqueduct that's undrinkable. And here's, this is one of the most misinterpreted uh, passages in Revelation. Right? When I was a kid growing up, um, I was in some very intense preaching circles. Right? Uh, I heard people use the word like hellavision and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> kind of fire and brimstone context. I still chuckle at hellavision today, right? Um, but I would hear people preach on this, and they would say something like, God wants you to be passionate or be nothing, but don't be a half-hearted Christian. People, that's completely an inaccurate interpretation. That's completely a wrong interpretation of this text. God would never prefer, it's theologically inconsistent to say, God would rather you be cold-hearted about the things of God or be passionate. Just don't be in the middle, right? That's not, that's incompatible. Well, what What's actually being said here is, I want you to be useful. Useful. This is not about personal passion. This is about, are you useful to the kingdom of God? Are you useful to what God is doing? See, hot springs, it has its use, right? It's a healing effect, and it was something that was very valued in, in the ancient world and in parts of our world today. It was very valuable. It had its use. Cold water is refreshing, Right? It's sustaining. It has its use. But the messy middle, lukewarm, filled with 
residue, sediments. It's not healing anybody. It's not refreshing anybody. It is useless. That's really what this is about. See, Jesus is is calling a church to say, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? Verse 15, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. All the while, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know what they were thinking? They had become useless Christians, and they didn't know it. They became useless Christians, and they they didn't know it, right? They still said, well, hey, I'm still showing up to church. Hey, I'm still like... Like, you know, thinking about the things that that God has said. You know, I'm still a Christian. But they weren't doing anything for the kingdom of God. They weren't making a difference. Maybe they were still worshiping God. Maybe they were still growing together. But their lives were not useful for the kingdom. And here's the reason that they put, right? Because we all have reasons, right? We all have intentions. Their reason is saying, hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. You know, I I am okay. I am okay because I have, I am rich. I'm spiritually okay because I'm, I'm kind of a high roller here, right? I'm spiritually okay with God because I've prospered. I'm spiritually okay with God because I'm self-sufficient. I need nothing. This city needs nothing, right? And this is one qualm I'll give. Uh, the whole hashtag blessed thing, by the way, Right? If you ever heard this, you know it's equating like I have these things, right? I got a windfall, I got that contract, I sold that album, whatever. Hashtag blessed. That means the reason I have this is because God is showing me divine favor. This is nothing but the gift of God, friends. Take it up with Him, right? Um, Twenty-four carat. Anyone want to listen to the song? You can, you can, you can listen to hashtag blessed in that, right? That, that's the thinking. But there's a problem with hashtag blessed. That's not actually how God works. Now, let me be clear. There are occasions where God has said, because you are selfish, because you're not giving, right? We look at the minor prophets. It's like you have a hole in the pocket of your robe, and the money you keep putting in just keeps going everywhere because you're selfish, and you're not giving anything to the temple. You're holding it all back for yourself. So I'm going to cause you to not be financially prosperous. There are situations like that in the Bible. But more often than not, Jesus told a parable of a farmer who says, I've stored up everything in my barn. I have all these riches. I am going to console my heart to to eat and make merry because I am set. And behold, your soul will be required of you this evening. Right? There's there's not this direct line. See, people want to say material success is because of spiritual success. That's not true. Most of the time, that's unrelated to what God is doing. God has a lot of critique for some of those who are wealthy. And for some of those who are poor, think of the widow who gives her last mite, get incredible praise. And, and my only point is this. You cannot draw a direct line and say, because I am successful or because I am not successful, God is pleased with me or God is not pleased with me. It's not an easy line to draw. And they were saying, I am rich. I am I am self-sufficient. I, we, we have what we need. So you know what? I am hashtag blessed. 
See, they saw themselves as confident, coasting, and partners with the gospel. I'm confident. I'm good. I, 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 feel, like, I feel like everything's up and up, right? I have my reasons. I mean, okay, yeah, but I, I feel confident that, that God is, is using me and that I'm in a good place, right? And, and they're kind of coasting. They're sitting there saying, hey, maybe we're not taking the world by storm, but like we're still treading water. We're doing fine here. And, and you know what? I'm still showing up to church. They are, by the way, right? I'm still showing up to like the worship session. Right? I'm, I, so I think I'm a partner in the gospel here. I think I'm a part of this thing, that I'm a part of, of making a difference here. But look what Jesus says. He says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, Jesus saw them differently. Jesus actually saw them as arrogant. They were arrogant. Hey, I'm fine. I'm confident. No, that's not confidence. That's arrogance. Hey, I think I'm coasting. Actually, no, you're not. You're backsliding. See, the, the Christian life is not a put-it-in-neutral thing. You are, that's a misnomer. You're actively moving towards God or you're moving away. It's not coasting in the spiritual life. They say, well, I'm coasting. Jesus says, no, no, you're backsliding. And they go, I'm a partner in the gospel. I think I'm a partner in this church. But you know what a partner is? Someone who is invested, right? No, they were consumers. Hey, how good was the message this week? Because, <laughs> you know, you get like three strikes, you're out, and then I'll go down the road. You know, how, how good was the music? Were, were the snacks good enough for my kids, right? Was the location fine, right? Because inherently, I'm a consumer, I'm really not here to participate. I'm here to receive. I'm not here as a partner who has a stake in this thing. I'm someone who wants to show up and, you know, get my shot of spiritual juice and, hey, thanks, you know, go on my way. Right, Jesus says you're a consumer. Now, look what he says in this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire. Wait a minute, what? You're wealthy. Jesus says, I want you, this is what you need to do, consumer. I want you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and a salve to anoint your eyes. Does that sound familiar? So that you may see. That's what Jesus says. You've become a useless Christian. You've become useless I'm not saying you're not loved by God. I'm not saying that you're going to, you know, like you're not going to go to heaven when you die. I'm saying you're doing nothing because you're so self-confident. You've actually become arrogant. You're, you're so, hey, I got this, right? I'm hashtag blessed. I don't need to do anything. And you have tricked yourself into not doing anything of eternal value. And Jesus says, I want to hold up a mirror here. And, and the reality of it is you're not actually wealthy, I know you've got X number of dollars, right, in the bank account, X number of, you know, denarii in the bank account, but you're actually spiritually impoverished. You're backsliding and you're blind. So I'm going to recommend three things. I want you to buy gold so that you can be rich. Oh, Laodicea Banking Center. Oh, Manhattan Banking Center. I want you to put on white garments. What type of garment were they famous for? Black garments. Made the money, right? He's playing off of everything that's true about their city, right? The hallmarks of it. I, I, I'm actually going to encourage you because you don't know. 
that you're spiritually exposed right now, I want to encourage you to get something that's really worthwhile. Put on this garment. And I want you to put a salve for your eyes. What was the third thing they were famous for? Salve for the eyes. Right? I want you to see the world as I see it. And Jesus says this. Those whom I love. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Friend, if you are curious and wondering, is it possible? Is it even possible that I may be right now a useless Christian? The kingdom of God isn't changing because of my, my actions, because of my prayers, because of my giftedness. I want you to know you're still loved. God says, those whom I love, I Reprove and discipline. So be, and we have two words here. What is it? Zealous and repent. Be repent now, that's present tense, and be zealous, that's future continuous. Repent now. In this moment, you need to say, God in heaven, I think my reasons are actually excuses, and I, and I want to change. That's repentance. You know what zealousness is? Praying that again every day this week. <laughs> to continuously say, not just in one moment, God, is this true of me? If so, would you change my heart? And then I I'm going to take steps intentionally, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and be zealous continuously to continue that. Jesus says this, one of the most famous uh, phrases in all the book. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. As the worship team comes up and as we come to close today, I want you to know this is a crazy thing. This is part of that upside down, inside out view of, of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus says, you, you've, you've kidded yourself. You've become useless to the kingdom of God. You're blind. You're naked. You're pitiable. I want you to have true spiritual riches. I want you to be clothed in my righteousness, not your own self-sufficiency. I want you to see the world like I see it. I want, I want you to repent I want you to be zealous. And then here's the crazy thing. Those who I love. You know what the gut reaction for most of us is when we feel Jesus knocking on our hearts? When we feel like you get that moment where you're like, I think I've closed him out. I think I've been kidding myself. You know what the, the knee-jerk human reaction is? Adam and Eve. Hide. I, I got to come up with some sort of garment of my own making. I got to somehow cover over my shame. I got to like do enough reps of good things before I can come back to church, right? I've got to like witness to three people or something before I can like pray again to God. And, and we, we have this thought, I got to make it up. I got to get a track record. I, I got to, but Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you open, he will come and dine with you. Do you remember the Pharisees? They were mad at Jesus for eating with who? 
Sinners. Why? Because in that culture, if, if you knocked on the door of that person, they said, come on in, and you came in, do you know what it would imply? You thought that they were worthy of your presence. Yeah. Think about that. Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, a door of some of our hearts of us who are blind, some of our hearts who've been pitiable, some of our hearts who have just been this shameful thing that we've been trying to cover over with our own devices. Jesus says, I love you, and I'm going to knock on the door, and I won't be afraid to associate with you. Even before you've done anything right, even before you've become useful to the kingdom of God, I want you to know, if you repent, that door will open, and I will enter in, and I will sit with you, and I, and I so love you, I'm going to sit there and say, I'm okay with being associated with you. I'm okay with you being associated with me. Let's take steps, friend. Let's take steps. Father in heaven, God, I pray. May we be useful. Not from some sort of guilt or some sort of uh, poor reason, but God, I, you so want to use us to change the world. And God, we miss out. We miss out on a life that truly matters when we close the door on you, when we blind ourselves, when we, we try to cover our own shame, when we pursue wealth that leads to nothing more than its own end. Father in heaven, help us to repent, to be zealous, and to be so thankful for a God who's willing to knock, not kick down, but invite us to open in response and to find love in that place. God, work in our hearts, and may you commune with us today. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.